0: Hello and welcome to Architecture Design and, occasionally, Photography. Today we are going to be speaking with Alex Ilton. Alex initially trained as an architect, receiving both bachelor's and master's degree in architecture from University of Kansas. After that, he packed his bags and set off for Southeast Asia, where he designed large-scale structures. That experience led Alex to work on other projects around the globe, including the Vatican and Empire State Building or, you know, stuff that he worked on and in. Obviously, these were built before Alex. Anyways, uh, his obsession with creation has bled into the digital world, too. Alex has been down more rabbit holes than Wonderland's Alice and enjoys sound design and 3D printing. Since working at VT Pro Design, Alex has worked with the company to create brand activations for brands such as Netflix, Heineken, and more, which, by the way, I was just recently appreciating how I can find more content that I want to view on Netflix. So maybe Alex can talk about why that works so well. Alex Ilton, really cool to be able to talk to you today. You've, you're, we have the common background of being educated in architecture and ending up doing kind of different things than a traditional practice of architecture. Um, Yes, we do. Walk walk me through your background, education, and how you ended up getting to where you're at and what you're actually doing these days.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, Well, first off, it's a pleasure, a fan of the pod, so excited to have the opportunity um, to do that. And yeah, I mean, I was born and raised in the Midwest in Kansas City. Um, I think, uh, you know, the story of my, my kind of career started when I was young and just getting into you know, art and, and music at a young age and having parents that kind of fostered, you know, being able to, you know, dive down the rabbit hole of kind of just creative endeavors. Um, I think
0: how did, if you don't mind are- me asking, how did they foster that and how did you pick, I mean, I, I imagine you just naturally picked up on that you were interested in creative, the creative process as far as the part of the creative process where you're actually creating and how did your parents pick up on that and how did they foster it? selfishly because I've got two boys
1: (laughs) yeah I mean well I've got an older brother he's a couple years older than me and he started taking piano lessons I think around like kindergarten first grade and Mm -hmm. uh, they saw that I was uh, just watching closely at an even younger age and so they uh, yeah they let me start taking piano at a really young age um, and that kind of grew into drums and percussion and things like that Um, and then art, I remember taking art classes from a local artist, um, you know, and we were doing anything from, you know, painting to paper mache to sculpting and things like that, you know, um, those memories are probably early elementary school. Yeah. And then Mm -hmm. that kind of just really carried through into, um, you know, secondary school, um, yeah. And they were always really good. They were just kind of like, what do you want to learn? What do you want to try? Um, you know, I think getting abroad and we'll get into this kind of with education, but trying a lot of things when you're young helps you kind of, you know, get a, a broad kind of umbrella of um, creative inspiration. And then you're able to kind of dive into niche kind of sectors as you right. want, you know, right. um, you know, I had a really cool opportunity in high school. We had this technical school. That you could go to um so i knocked out my kind of like first three hours um this was in junior and senior year of of high school um and then i left and went over to this technical school where people could take you know um kind of car fabrication they could take um you know uh fashion design Um, i actually enrolled in the multimedia program there Mm. um and so yeah i started doing you know learning animation 3d studio max like flash animation back in the day um, at just a really young age and all the kind of Photoshop and things like that. Um, and then also like Pro Tools and sound design and audio design. Um, so that kind of really kind of let me focus in on on pushing those at a young age um, and then ultimately kind of leading me to, you know, college after that. I wanted to go to... Um, I always wanted to join Pixar uh, when I was in high school and I went and checked out a lot of kind of animation schools um, around the country, actually. But I fell back on architecture um, in-state at the University of Kansas just because um, I wasn't really sure if that was a I I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. So it was um, my parents kind of helped me look at more of a, a just a wider range umbrella kind of education. And that landed in architecture, which Um, was really
0: interesting. Hmm. That's, uh, it's interesting to hear you mention all the tools of creativity and outlets for creativity that you mentioned. And then to kind of ask yourself the question, like, what do you do with those tools? Like, what is the, what is the, um, what is the purpose of creativity? You know, and that, that's always kind of been a thing that's sat with me. Do you have any, uh, you have any answer for me on that? (laughs)
1: What is the purpose of creativity? I mean, that's, uh, I would, I would look at that as, as a bigger question of what's the purpose of life. Right. I mean, I like, I've always loved the, um, the creative is the the child who survived. Right. Um, and so I think that just through expression of exploration, um, like you said, through different mediums, uh, whether it be poetry, music, Mm -hmm. art, um, I think that's what it is to kind of be human. Right. And kind of, you know, digest and explore our Earth um, why we're here, and then use these tools to kind of communicate with other humans what mm-hmm. we're what we're discovering. yeah
0: yeah, the, to me, creativity creativity and art are different. I'm still refining my the way I hold the two in my head to more deeply understand them, but yeah, I would think that creativity is the process of um, solving problems in an area where there's not a clear answer yet, because that's kind of the most basic uh, statement on creativity I can come up with at the point or at this point. Um, But art seems to be more of an expression of experience.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And then you can also kind of look at the dichotomy of kind of creativity and and engineering. Right. And it's, Mm. we'll get into this with kind of like the work that that's been keeping me busy, but I'm only as good as kind of my counterpart. Right. And I think that there's a really strong symbiosis with kind of, you know, the left side and the right side of your brain, um, pushing creativity, and then also uh, juxtapositioning that with, you know, team team members, because everybody is strong in one kind of area, Mm -hmm. but somebody that can actually um, bring that to fruition uh, because you can come up with crazy ideas and visions. Um, but they're not real until you execute and build them, right?
0: Right, right, yeah. yeah. You always need a, crea- a a more entrepreneurial, creative person to start a business typically, but then they're generally not that great at running it. Uh, you need more of a <laughs> managerial, no. side. and this is a bell curve stereotype, sure, but... <laughs> And I I was just thinking about this before this conversation that, you know, no one really approaches someone and looks at the answer to their math problem and says, oh, what a creative answer. It's just either (laughs) right or wrong. But if you've done something that makes something that you see as like, oh, but it wasn't a precon or it wasn't a not a preconceived, but it wasn't just a given answer, but it is an answer that in some way, either in beauty or whatever, that makes sense then people generally have the response of oh that's so creative like you actually you made an answer that i didn't see was possible
1: yeah i mean it's an interesting question like is beauty subjective or objective you know i mm-hmm. can i can go both ways on that i could argue both sides of that that kind of coin but um yeah i mean i think that it's 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 interesting you look at kind of just architecture in general and design and like there is a subjective kind of relationship with what you view right um but yeah there's there's some interesting kind of mathematics that, that go behind why you think that right
0: yeah no I, I think you just made me realize that i i think i might believe that beauty is objective but you can it's something that you can only perceive subjectively
1: Yes, that's a good way to put it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because I I do think there is a truth outside of us, and I'm not saying, like, be baptized in the Holy Spirit and believe, you know, as whoever. I'm saying that I do believe there is a truth outside of us that our experience seeks to give form to, and that, to me, is the expression of art and creativity that's uh, painting a clearer picture of what is outside of us by... Um, interacting with and and forming out of the abstract into the more concrete what actually is. So I think that yeah, beauty beauty is objective, but you can only interpret it subjectively. That's a really beautiful uh, way to wrap that together. Thanks for that.
1: Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> thank you. Uh, now, I always liked um, in college studying um, diving down like the phenomenology rabbit hole, right, with architects like Peter Zumthor. Mm -hmm. um you know I I remember having kind of a I think it was a first-year professor that like you know really really was like driving into us like you walk into a space and it's like binary right like you have a guttural feeling inside yourself like what feels good does it feel good does it feel warm inviting does it feel off-putting um yeah and so it's, it's interesting using that kind of subconscious in your creative thoughts, right? So when you're creating, designing things, um, you know, you, you look at kind of modernism and, and kind of this strict kind of set of rules and lines and kind of principles and protocols. And then and what kind of postmodern did was break that, right? And kind of mm-hmm. create these asymmetric languages and motifs. And it's, it's just interesting seeing the progress of, of mankind through design and these different kind of phases we go through. Um, you know, and how we kind of just deal with that question that you were alluding to.
0: Yeah, no that that's interesting. What modernism could be viewed as extremely rigid and and almost an expression of classical architecture in how rigid it can be in its in the perception of it. And so you go from like classical to like a baroque style, which broke those rigid lines. Like one of the chapels I visited in Rome, like the on when I was in architecture school the professor pointed out this is the example of the first cornice or I forget exactly the term uh, used but it's this is the first one that had a fluid form this one right here they broke that conservative mold and went all like postmodernist, essentially at that point where modernism did this really minimalist far more cold minimal thing and then postmodernism comes along and says, like, well, nothing's maybe true. So it's all a subjective interpretation. And I kind of, I disagree with that, but I also believe in the process of breaking down what's true to to convince ourselves that we believe it in a way. So there's that.
1: <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, you could take that into kind of form over function, right? Where you're right. just like, th- there's this age old battle of, you know, Utility, uh, you know, function for humans being in it, um, and then just beautiful shapes and volumes and, and things that are inspirational for the sake of um, that, right? Uh, right? Creating awe. So, um, you know, as, as designers, I think it's nice to kind of mix the two, right? And be able to produce something that pushes the boundaries from a beautiful aesthetic um, but also have really strong function for the users um, and for the client. You know?
0: how, how do you understand the emotion of awe and how does it play into the designs that you put together with experiential design? Like that sense of awe is should be something that you as a designer, you know, pulling the levers behind the curtain, if you will, should probably have a pretty good sense of, I would imagine that you're presenting that for others to be in awe of, but where they be able to see behind the curtain, they would lose that sense of awe to some degree. And cause that's the thing that I go through when I, when I take in a movie or anyone else's photography, I don't usually interact with it with a sense of awe. I interact with it as a mean, as a, as an experience of me already knowing what goes on behind the curtain and thinking about which levers they had pulled to get the effect that gave awe, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that's how you create that awe is is, is the magic of hiding the technology, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of getting into I, and the other one is is kind of the non-traditional form factor and um, scale. So, I mean, I think that I when know. we're hitting, you know, really large-scale architectural buildings and facades, um, mm. you know, I think that the content, hopefully, if it's non... You can do really powerful, impactful things with brand storytelling. Um, but if the content is really thought-provoking and powerful, um, that's an easy way to kind of, cr- you know, create that awe. But I think that when you... To stop people in their tracks, you know, in New York and stop cars moving and stop people from walking around New York when you hit the Empire State Building with a really powerful message. Obviously, that scale is something that that works. That's kind of low hanging fruit. Right. Right. Um, Also kind of, you know, spatializing, you know, content on. You know, surfaces, really large surfaces, whether it be, you know, different kind of facades at a city scale or more in an intimate kind of area, um, looking at kind of like, you know, spherical um, experiences and things like that. You know, that's another way to kind of like immediately capture people's attention. Right. People put right. their phones down. Um, you know, they know that they're experiencing something that's just not they, they've never experienced before. Mm-hmm. Um And then, yeah, back to, like, where you led that question with was, like, I think, um, you know, currently at VT Pro, like, we dial in those, you know, kind of awe-inspirational moments, but we really integrate that technology, whether it be, you know, robotics, lighting design... Um, you know, interactive kind of touch screens and things like that. We really want to hide that form factor so that you feel that you're immersed in the world and that you're not just kind of interacting with like a vertical touchscreen. Mm. Right. Um, and so I think that those are kind of um, traits and principles that we have at the root of our work. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you really want to capture people's attention and, and get them to kind of like transform out of their normal world into something that you create that they can hopefully take take with them as a lasting memory.
0: Oh that's uh, that's really that's really interesting that puts uh, it, it kind of outlines the things that you might understand just intrinsically with uh, being immersed in the work that you do. And like that, for me, was more so seen behind the curtain of like, well, yeah, obviously, if you design something on a grand scale, it's automatically going to convey awe to, you know, a person at a smaller scale. I mean, that's true with the pyramids. That's true at the Grand Canyon. That's true at the Empire State Building. And it's not something that I've really ever embodied in my psyche, actually thinking of that, that like, oh, just because this thing is so much larger than me, I automatically feel awe in my first time relating to it as just a given, you know, that's, that's very true through experience for me, which is kind of interesting. Um, So what innovations have allowed architecture to evolve over the last thousand years? This is something that, that, uh, that, the technological advances and everything else, you, you use all those things, uh, as a tool towards evolving, uh, architecture Uh, into a thing that does more of this uh, I believe it was on your guys website as story driven experiences through design like start out with kind of the history of architecture and how you see it and how the different technological advances along the way have gotten to us to kind of current day and how you see uh, leading technologies right now that are pushing us into the future.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll i start more recent than than a thousand years probably, but like, I mean, obviously it's kind of an evolution of, of materials, right, and our mm-hmm. understanding of how to work with them. Um, you know, I'd probably pick it up with, um, I think in the 90s, you know, you started seeing some really interesting kinetic facades, right? You um, had the kind of the Arab Institute in Paris was one of the first ones that like opened up, you know, as this, this, this dialing facade that opened up and let different sunlight come through. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that that kind of kickstarted a lot of kind of like physical kinetic, um, facades and roofs and things like that, that, that was really interesting. Um, and that was right before my time of kind of getting into career practice, um, but but you know, I think when I came back from working in, in China on kind of large scale architecture, I I dove into, um, we had some really nuanced technologies like transparent OLEDs, um, you know, e glass. We started to really utilize e glass and facades, and so you, and and so the idea that you could add, you know, interactive capabilities through content, um, and through, um kind of just electricity, right? And being able to control things um, is really exciting, right? And so you could almost look at that as like smart architecture, where it's like living and breathing and it's able to have a relationship with its context, Mm -hmm. um, but also have a relationship with its users. Um, And so you can really imagine, um, you know, we worked one one of the most interesting projects in in Hong Kong that we were working on, We utilize this e-glass that I was talking about, which is normally used for like, um, you know, it's just a binary on off um, and it's used in bathrooms or something like that. Right. Right. And it's kind of like, you know, shoots a current through a glass and it makes it uh, opaque. Right. And then you can switch it back and forth Um, so you can pixelate that down to tiny little pixels and you can control those pixels. And so you could. Um, you know, have, you know, a 2000 by 2000 pixel of e-glass that becomes kind of the, fa- the facade for an atrium for a museum or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, and like I was saying, you could have this like really interesting dialogue with architecture as this like inner intermediate kind of medium um where it's you know tracking the sun across the sky and able to you know block that out but then also kind of open up as people walk across the lower half of it right um and then not only is is that um just kind of an analog experience you're able to you know tie that software um with content right and so you can projection map that at night and bring that to life and do just an orchestra of visuals On this really dynamic um, facade and so that's a that's one example of of kind of integrating you know kind of nuanced technology into you know architectural systems now um the other one that i brought up was kind of this transparent oled um, and transparent lcds where you can see through imagine if you strip off the film um a film layer of, of one of the lcds Um, in your house, and you can actually see through it. Um, But when you backlight it, you can actually see content, right? Um, So I think that we're just at the precipice of starting to see a lot of these kind of just new technologies um, that are used for kind of one-off, bespoke, like interactive and immersive experiences. But how do we take those and actually apply that into the architectural industry, um, into more permanent builds?
0: So, how is that um, with with your company, VT Pro Design? That or I don't know if it's like your company or if, if you're in there uh, just as a um, as the executive creative director. But um, how does that work into working with uh, companies not like Netflix?
1: yeah so i mean uh like like you had mentioned before like we so now with vt pro we're we're a really dialed kind of production studio that's every we do everything in-house um so clients come to us um you know we're about um you know 50 to 60 people right now our headquarters is in la but we got people all over the the country um but we have it's almost like a trifecta of like creative services. creative technologists, um, which is like software and systems, um, and then production. Um, And so clients really come to us um, because we can do everything in-house and we can really, the the creative team, the upfront kind of discovery of of what we're kind of digesting from the client is really informed by our relationship internally with our creative technology department and our production department. So we know that we can deliver um, kind of on some big visions. Um, and we don't have to outsource that to um, any other third party. And so we can really keep that quality control. Um, and like I said, it's kind of this the cyclical loop of like learning from technology and being able to kind of bring those learnings back up into the creative and discovery phase. Um, much like an, an architectural practice, you'd love to kind of get your engineers and your landscape and your lighting designers in as soon as possible so that you can carry that kind of whole package across, Um, Mm. you know, Netflix, Meta, um, you know, uh, Heineken. We do a lot with kind of with Ray-Ban too um, and Riot recently. We're doing a lot of um, kind of just high profile projects where people want to create in real life experiences where they can bring the community together Mm. Um, and we can kind of build out a world, um, kind of an immersive storytelling of you know, a brand or, you know, some of their IP. Um, And we can really kind of bring that to life um, with different touch points and activations that are cured towards people engaging and and just being really, like I said, immersed in in that world or that company.
0: So two two follow-up questions to that. One, uh, how much do you use AI in, in actually developing and building this? Because that's, that's a huge interest of mine, like what artificial intelligence, like why we even call it artificial intelligence. And then uh, secondly, why is Netflix in, in the phone app, why is it so much more user-friendly for me to interact with compared to Prime and HBO? <laughs> like I look at those two and I scroll through and I'm like, ugh, ah, meh. And I go to Netflix and I'm like, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe. Like there's something about the immersive experience of just the the home page at Netflix that like just last night I was sitting there uh, thinking about it before I started watching Stranger Things. I'm like, you know, I <laughs> something about this. I, I want to yeah, come back I mean, to here to select my stuff, much more so than HBO or Prime.
1: Yeah, I mean that's probably uh I got some of that algorithm from uh TikTok probably. But um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I to to jump into AI, man, I mean, it's kind of a, a really funny, funny time right now, because I was up all night last night, pl- finally got my hands on GPT-3, um, you know, which is kind of like this new, you know, capability out of open AI, just from a creative standpoint, I think that we're at a precipice of like just a 1000x of our ability and go- coming back to like medium and tools, I think. We're going to be able to really, we're going to see a renaissance of just kind of concept art and like creative um, storytelling via AI, right? Um, I guess it would be AGI, but um, yeah. So this this kind of GPT three was is kind of this uh, word based, um, you know, AI that allows you to kind of write poetry and 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 let them it kind of construct it for you. But there, that I don't know if you. So maybe a couple months ago, they came out with Dolly, which is like the ability to input words into an AI and then it it, it constructs, um, you know, conceptual visualizations and paintings um, in two D for you. Uh, but I just got, um, it's called uh, uh, Mid Journey. I just got on that wait list and got it this morning, and you're able to type in. Up, you know, um, whatever you want, times the rendering, times the artist, times the f- photographer, and it creates, um, you know, these visualizations for you. Um, and man, it's, it's freaky, my head is blown. So it's a, it's an interesting time to bring that in. Because I think as a, as a creative, um, you know, you, you don't really see what is a rippling effect of like the internet, right before mm-hmm. it came. Um, so I think that AI will be like that, where, we can only, we're only scraping the surface with our imagination of, of being able to utilize that um, as a tool in, in the creative
0: industry. So walk me through what you're talking about that you can put in words and everything else and it creates this 2D thing for you. Is it, is it simply pulling from uh, inputs that have that it's pulling essentially from, from just an infinite source of inputs from the internet and creating uh, based on that? Essentially, I'm assuming
1: so. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm no no artificial intelligent uh, expert um, by any means. But yeah, I think that it's scraping. But it's also I mean, it's it's creating, you know, it's like it's interesting to see it because it, it pops up um, four images and you pick which one you want to kind of like take and do more variations of. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can also up the fidelity. Right. But I think what's kind of blowing my mind the most is like you can tell it to render it in Octane or in Unreal 5, right? So it's like you could you could potentially not have to learn and model anything and just tell the AI to do it, right? And so as I've wow. been learning Unreal and, and coming from 3D background, I'm like, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, you're spending a week to like design, model, uh, build out this environment uh, learn how to render, you know, back in college, you just put a render through the render farm and you'd come back in the morning and hope that it wasn't messed up. Right. Um, and so now you've got real time rendering in, in Unreal, which is just incredible. And, and for previs, you just snapshot your screen um, and that's good enough to share with the client. Um, but now you I mean, you potentially getting a taste of, you know, the idea that you might not even have to like render. Or you, know, yeah. you might not even have to model in three D. Like it's almost dematerializing that whole process, that whole creative process of like um, design to modeling to rendering, and it's it's allowing to wrap it up into into a pipeline that's pretty incredible.
0: So this uh, this this opens up a different can of worms for me. That's really interesting <laughs> for helping to understand ourselves. Like why do we call artificial intelligence? Artificial. Why is it just not computer intelligence? There's something that we understand about ourselves that influences our intelligence outside of articulated thinking. We include emotion with uh, articulate thinking to call ourselves a complete and real thing. Yet, if we can have intelligence that seems to be devoid of emotion, we call that artificial. And yeah. so all of this is built essentially uh, on the first glance at it, it's all built to service humans. Yet we're building it without the ability to imbue emotion into it. And that's both the thing that scares us and the thing that would scare us, would scare us if it were there. Like,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I mean, I'm a I'm a huge fan of Westworld, so I'm I'm a fan of kind of diving down the the rabbit hole of of all of this. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. They a lot of kind of people that are much, you know, more better articulate in this world. You know, they would look at like you know this future where it's it's beautiful because artificial intelligence will um, allow us to kind of automate away these jobs. Um, that are kind of mundane and allow humanity to kind of uh, reach this kind of new Renaissance um, where people can focus on more creative kind of endeavors and dive uh, back into, um, you know, and obviously there's kind of a whole financial thing that needs to happen there too, to be able to allow that to happen. But um, yeah, I don't know. you look at it as a, as a creative, you'd like to think that like humans have, you know, original creative thought, You know, but yeah, you could almost look at like everything that you come up with in your head, though, is really just a remix of two separate memories. Right. And you're kind of like curating those. Right. And so it is. It's uh, I think it's a it's a it's an interesting lifelong kind of conversation to to have, you know. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. As I think of an artificial intelligence, creative engine taking some input and ask it asking us. Give me a problem that I can solve. And then the way it solves it is it takes referential points that it then, you know, mixes together with different connecting things between them to create something. And we call that artificial intelligence. Yet the pattern, how it came to that, is pretty much the same pattern that we would use. We would take experiential first person stuff to then create a thing. And, the other the other thing i would i don't know that i push back on you but the the thing that um the thing i would say like is is artificial intelligence a means to an end to allowing us all to be creative at that point what point is our creativity if we don't have problems and if artificial intelligence is solving problems to make life better then when we get to this better life what problems do we still have in front of us at that point
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a that's a that's a good uh, question. I mean, technology is is should be deflationary, right? Like technology should allow our lives to to be better, um, and we don't see that in the market right now. But yeah, you would hope that um, we can kind of harness that in the in the right way. And yeah, you just look at kind of like OpenAI's kind of principles and why they exist as an organization, and I think that they're hoping to kind of steer the evolution that's coming. Um, with AGI into this direction, where it's utilized to to help foster exactly what you said.
0: Yeah, I, I think the conversation around it all is extremely interesting because it it forces the the individuals involved in the conversation to consider more deeply what we actually are, and and then that 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 helps you kind of frame the issues or or deal with uh, the outside perspectives, fears. You have to kind of understand yourself, understand the person who's critically approaching what you're doing, and kind of uh, connect the two in a way that is able to be approved by those who have doubts about it at least enough to be able to move forward so it's a It's a really interesting subject for me.
1: I love it, yeah, I think that we could dive down this rabbit hole definitely. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> but so, normally it's um, a
1: late night conversation around a fire pit or something like that,
0: right? So, uh, what exactly for people who aren't uh, in the know around it, but like emerging emerging media, spatial content, and intelligent architecture, how would you describe that to someone who just doesn't have an interaction with that kind of thing?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, Marshall McLuhan is always kind of a go-to to to read about just kind of like the philosophy, um, you know, and the birthing of kind of media architecture, really, right? And that kind of came, you know, decades ago from a philosophical standpoint. Um, you know, I think that uh, what inspired me was living and working in China. I think that they had, they were kind of ahead of the game as far as like, um, you know, having having media be a part of like architect big architectural facades and and things like that um and just seeing you know especially in Hong Kong and shanghai um how how LEDs were integrated into um, be used as storytelling at, at scale like we were discussing before um and then yeah you you obviously see these big kind of billboards in Times Square and las vegas and and it's really kind of for show and and back to kind of catching people's attention right but I think that Will um, inevitably continue to see um, media surfaces be on exteriors of buildings and also just throughout interiors, right? Um, used for wayfinding, used for, you know, ambiance, um, used for lighting design. Um, but they're all separate, right? So you walk into a space and the lights are nice, and then you might have some media surfaces scattered throughout. Um, but you're starting to see with new builds that you'll have, you know, this, this CMS, this content management system, almost this like maestro or soul of a building, right? That is able to um, evolve throughout the day, um, evolve with content, evolve with mood. Um, you know, a good mm. project uh, to reference is, is one of the bigger first big kind of LEDs we did in San Francisco um, for Salesforce Lobby. Um, you know, we, we created this like beautiful, um, CGI waterfall that comes down and it's just, it's gorgeous and also captured this massive ultra pan of the redwoods. Um, and so as people are coming in and out of the lobby throughout the day, that content will change based off of what type of, what time of day it is. Um, and, and potentially even tied to kind of the climate, um, and the weather outside, um, and so right now you're just, you're starting to see these media walls pop up in lobbies of, of new buildings and kind of retrofitting in old ones. Um, and they're like a one hero wall, right? But you can start to imagine um, as the cost of LEDs come down um, and architects and designers start to design these into their spaces more and more, um, you know, you'll have a series of you know, separate kind of media walls but you'll have them tied together through content, right? um and so yeah you can you can almost imagine you build out these kind of spherical worlds of a redwood for example and then you pip um, almost like a window or a portal in that virtual world and that's kind of what you bake out to put out onto these screens Mm. that are kind of spatial um, throughout um, interior lobbies um, which is just really exciting Uh, you want to do it right you don't want to like bombard people with Uh, content and when it's off it's a black screen right so it's kind of uninviting Um, so I think that there's a lot of room to kind of explore how we do that and how we embed that into you know surfaces and materials
0: yeah you're there's a lobby that I've seen either in movies or I forget where I saw it but it's like a really intense kind of water rushing in and kind of hitting what feels like the wall that it's displayed on and just constantly and it's like the whole thing is like that and there's like these t- two I think areas where you can go through but the feeling of that our, of that experience of seeing that and imagining myself in that place was very um it was it was very intense very a very powerful thing that you were going into very chaotic and powerful but it definitely left an emotional impression on me and it's not something I've, you know, come close to forgetting, you know, so that's something.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's, it's, it's nice to bring these kind of virtual experiences out into the real world, specifically in architectural spaces. You know, I think that we're, we as a, as a society and a culture, you know we obviously have our, our relationship with our phone, um, which obviously awesome pros um, and some cons. Um, you know VR is kind of this like you know individual experience, although you might be hanging out with people you know through that. Um, you know I, I feel like that, that, that augmented reality is interesting where you're able to kind of bring those virtual elements. Um, the tech isn't there exactly yet, but it will be uh, where you're kind of layering on those virtual elements into physical space.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but yeah, I, 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 you know, people love to live in this world, right? This is the physical real world. And so the idea that we can kind of embed um, that storytelling, you know, media technology into, you know, our, our beautiful architectural spaces, um, you know, and and be able to augment them with you know storytelling and content and even just lighting you know lighting design really subtle beautiful lighting design you know like James Terrell or something like that um, it's just really exciting and it's and it's beautiful it's tactile um, and it's real and you can have shared experiences with you know the people that you love in real life
0: so what what is the thought process around uh, imbuing personality into more of our uh, artificial intelligent um, you know phones, or like an actual building, starting to uh, embrace more of uh, an ability to interact with the humans that use it and present more of a personality because uh, interacting with yeah. our phones, the most technologically advanced thing that i you know in in my lifetime and the most life life changing thing it's still like Siri is so personality flat and you don't interact with it that much. It's always your commanding things and your prompting mostly. There doesn't seem Mm. to be any push towards designing in an interactive personality from that device or from that building. And there's such an opportunity to create like, Oh that bur- that building has a personality. Someone designed that personality and it interacts with you like hey good morning bob. I hope you got you know <laughs> there's the ability to yeah. do that. Is is yeah. that a thought in in the I in mean I
1: I yeah, I love that idea. I mean I so at VT Pro we do a lot of work with robots. Um Kuka robotic arms, um kind of the the robot dogs and everything and you know, I've always wanted to kind of push that like human relationship with them, right? They, they come off as, as stiff um, and rigid. Um, and like you're saying, you know, I, th- I think that as we can kind of embed like human emotions um, into, you know, robots and to AI and to kind of content, even this maestro content idea. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that flaws is a beautiful thing, right? That's what makes us human. And like to almost feel like this, You know, this relationship with, you know, like smart architecture um, or robots or or AI that 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 idea that they have empathy or imperfections or, you know, things like that. I always love the idea of like drugs for AI right in the future where it's like, how are they going to be able to escape their their head, which is perfect all the time. Right. Like you'll have to almost glitch them um, or things like that. Um, so yeah, I th- I think that, you know, that's an interesting avenue to to think and go down and kind of push with kind of experimental projects. Um another one that comes to mind, um, as you said, like kind of imagine walking through a, a lobby space. You now now have kind of um out of Germany it's called Holoplot. Um it's it's beam-forming audio. And so they they're able to shoot um individual Sounds to a a particular uh, Cartesian coordinate um, as you move through space, right? And so if you're moving through space, you can be followed and kind of carried through a space with certain audio. And then the person, you know, 10, 20 feet um, away from you can be hearing a different language, um, can be hearing something else, right? Um, And so I think that that's an interesting technology to watch as well as um, there's some LEDs. Um, that are, I don't exactly know how they work, but they're kind of lenticular in effect. So as you move across them, you see um, different content, right? And so that content is um, uh, based off of your point of view as you move through um, physical space. And so I think that you're gonna be able to do some really interesting things with a combination of those two, where dependent on who you are, um, and where you're moving through space, you'll have an, uh, your your own kind of personal um, audio experience, as well as your own kind of personal relationship with the content provider, um, you know, or the, the media technology. Um, so yeah, I love the idea of being able to craft, um, you know, bespoke experiences for for multitude of people in one space. I think that gets really interesting. And like you said, how do we How do we craft that per person, right? I mean, like, do you almost have something that's synced to your phone or your RFID, bracelet, or whatever um, so that we know the music that you like and we know that you love the ocean and so we're able to curate that content um, to be ocean for you and that you get to hear your favorite, um, you know, soundscape to that. Um, I think that gets into some really interesting territory as as designers.
0: So that, like... uh there's some concerns and fears that come up with me when I hear stuff like that. Cause I think of, I, I look at the degradation of community because of things like the phone that become so addictive and because of the ability to close yourself off to the, you know, the human reality around you by wearing headphones all the time. And so when we get into making these highly individualized experiences that are singular rather than communal, What's what's the danger in something like that? And furthermore, what's the what's the fears that you have in the back of your head when expanding into these technologies? Because, it, I mean, it would be ignorant to say that there's no possibility of things going absurdly bad, but embodied within a creative is the the bravery to say, it's going to go there and we have to go there anyways. We just have to figure out how to mitigate these dangers. What are the fears and dangers that you you actively mitigate in your mind in doing this?
1: Yeah. I mean, with, with you saying that, I mean, I'm I'm a huge fan of just social and collaborative experiences. So um yeah, I mean I think that, that would kind of come just within, you know, experimentation and you know, looking at design principles and like you said, looking at first principles of like, okay, this is a social space. How do we actually, you know, create this to be more of an orchestration of sounds where you're interact it actually spurs interaction um with with other people in the space right um so yeah we do that a lot with kind of our our installations um and activations now where you know we like to really you know bring people together around let's say just a a a sculpture or something like that an interactive sculpture and it only reaches new levels um once people learn that they're actually all together kind of you know interacting with this piece and able to kind of you know orchestrate it into its fullest potential Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that would be kind of, you know, maybe a lesson that we've learned, you know, through that is like, how do you with simple UX? Right. Like, how do you get people to understand that, um, you know, the the bigger and broader kind of picture experiences is done together? Right. So, yeah, I mean, that kind of walking you through that lobby with that individual um You know, experience, I think, was just to paint the picture of of kind of what the technology can do. Um, But like you said, yeah, I think that as designers, we want to we want to bring people together in physical spaces, you know.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting thing to kind of understand that this situation is one of a social situation. So we orient it towards the group. Or, you know, this is more of this type of more individualistic location situation where we orient this and design it and program it towards the individual experience and understanding ourselves better and understanding how to utilize technology to better the, the human experience, the ability for wisdom and open mindedness and also the embrace of proper cautionary behavior and everything else as well, to, to get that all to come together in that seamless way is, is so, so meaningful and, and important at the same time
1: yeah i mean i think that you look at what um this kind of evolution um and kind of experiential retail right and and you're looking at like how do you know the whole industry is looking at how do we get people to come back to brick and mortar stores because now you can order anything online and get it shipped to you in less than two hours um and so yeah we're doing a lot of work in that space too where it's just like you know helping brands um you know take their ip take their worlds build out these incredible kind of spaces that, yes, have kind of retail sprinkled throughout them, but really it's more of a, an experience that brings people together and, and, and kind of fosters that community. Uh, you know, we talked about that a little bit earlier and we did that with kind of doodles where it's like, you know, a lot of these, these kind of participants are, are separated by the internet and they've never met anybody in real life, right? And so to kind of create this like Shared world where they can go and meet, and they meet people in, in physical reality, and they're able to kind of like be, um, you know, we we foster an experience with different touch points that they come together and able to kind of activate this next level of like you know fidelity in this world. Um, you know, I think that that's what we like to push with a lot of our projects, and then you know pulling that. Um, like I said, these kind of more immersive activations that we do at this level, um, there's a lot to learn from them. Um, and they, they kind of spearhead what we can pull back into these more permanent architectural builds, um, mm. like you said, that that do have a little bit more weight to them. Right. Because they're permanent. Right. Um, you know, when you build kind of a pop up retail shop or you do like a three day you know, experience at a music festival or something, um, you're able to flex a little bit more, um, with experimentation. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, hopefully we take those kind of lessons and we're able to kind of, um, you know, input them into some bigger projects. Um, you know,
0: so. right? more of a world's fair kind of example.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. love that. The expo. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, so you would, I think you had mentioned, if I heard you correctly, you had mentioned something earlier that, uh, some of the the uh, abilities you have within technology and AI to read mood and to interact with people that way. Did I hear that right? Uh,
1: oh man, I mean, no, I would I would love to be able to to work in that space. I don't know if anything comes to mind from what what I've been able to work on. Um, obviously, that kind of gets a little scary with like social credit score and everything in China. Mm. But um, yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to like. Um, Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to be able to have your your architectural spaces be tied to um, your internal subjective uh, feelings, right? Um, Right. Yeah, that's a little bit over my head, but I feel like, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that's kind of on our horizon here in the next decade. Um, You know, obviously we have, you know, wearables. um, We've got smartwatches that are collecting that data. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I get scared with that whole thing. I mean, it's, it's kind of like there's pros and cons to it, right? It's like data collection, um, Mm -hmm. and having that be sent through a third party, um, and then affecting kind of the space you're in. But like we're saying, there's, there's beauty to it. And then there's things that we learn and we try to kind of control as designers into the future. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I have a concept for doing a piece of art that responds to the mood of the the gallery presence Uh, if it Mm. i'm i'm still kind of searching is there a technology out there that just reads facial expression to be able to discern mood to give an input back to then influencing the piece of art in a way that that expresses the mood in in physical form that you know a camera could collect along with some ai of reading a room that that would be a very interesting interactive kind of piece of art that not one individual could really control, but more so the collective feeling of a space being embodied and presented in this physical manipulatable thing, which could be really interesting.
1: I like that. You could probably get a grant from Burning Man and build it out there.
0: There we go. Perfect. Yeah. No, I do Um, like
1: that. I mean, I think that that's, I think that you're hitting the nail on the head as far as like what's, what can be, built now and what what will be kind of embedded into spaces in the future yeah
0: right uh did we touch on a story driven experience through design um how how does that play into this whole thing what's that i'm i'm someone who does not think in narrative pretty much at all Uh, and i know this because My wife is 100% driven through story narrative, and I I just Mm. don't get it, and I cannot write a story or think in story (laughs) to save my life. So story-driven experiences through design, what what does that mean? Explain it to the idiot here in the room.
1: No, I mean, I think that i mean, coming from architecture, obviously um, not coming from kind of that world of like, you know, creating kind of these these narratives and writing, but it's been fun to kind of like dive into that. Right. And so I think it's the idea of like, you know, you create you create this world, um, you know, this immersive kind of in real life, this world, but instead of just having you almost have a linear kind of progression through it. Right. And mm-hmm. and so being able to kind of tell a story um, you know, you can go one way where it's just kind of a free for all where people kind of go and they have these different touch points, um, you know, and they kind of interact with it as, as they wish. Um, but I think that it becomes really powerful when you can actually kind of create this cinematic experience um, and, and you kind of like you you take people on a journey through a space. Right. And, and just like a good film or a good movie, um, you know, the director is able to kind of like take you. Up and down and into these kind of you know corners of this this world, right? And immerse you in different kind of storytelling narratives and techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you can apply that um, into physical space, right? Um, obviously, if it's just more of a linear tunnel kind of experience, um, it's it's easier to do that. Um, but yeah, you can kind of open that up, like almost like Sleep No More in New York, to these like you know more performing art like almost hidden performing arts like experiences where you don't know who's an actor who's you know with with you in there um, just like you um, we have somebody that just joined our team that had worked on um, the West world uh, at South by Southwest a couple years ago I think that was giant spoon that did that um, but literally just brought that whole world to life right and so maybe it's not just a linear progression through an experience. Um, But it's more of these like, you know, choose your own adventure um, type of things where you don't even know, um, you know, who you're interacting with. Right. Um, Right. So, yeah, I think that we like to kind of do that where we don't just kind of hand you like a, you know, a designed you know experience. uh, But, you know, we set it up for production and we set it up for people to come in and actually have a really nuanced and bespoke experience in that. Yeah.
0: Well, that pretty much covers everything that I was really curious to hear from you. I'm I am really looking forward to the day when we get the ability to have a discernible personality of a building reflected in how it interacts with you. I think yeah. that will that will raise the level of creation of what humans have been capable of to like designing what type of personality do we want this new development to have and it'll interact with you in this more like minimalist manner or in this more like you know maybe in the morning it's a little groggy and in the afternoon it's a little more happy <laughs> and morning how you doing I, that I just seems it. like that that could be such a cool thing uh but then i i know so many people who would be so scared of something like that too you know that's just such a An interesting possibility and an interesting thing to to open your mind up to, but also like any change comes with this pushback from a conservative disposition to say like, well, what the hell other of worms are you opening up with this kind of thing, you know? So (laughs)
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. I'm on both sides. I, I love it one day and the next day you'll find me up at the cabin in the mountains with, uh, off the grid. So, <laughs> yep. <laughs> Writing a manifesto. Uh, <laughs>
0: <Exactly>. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, I really appreciate that we could get the time to, to work this out and make it happen. You seem to be pretty busy as for some reason this year, I think people are, uh, just jumping out of the, uh, the stopped economy of COVID and are just hitting the ground running right now. And it's the busyness right now is just insane, which is which is great. And, and also something that I've had to like temper. So, uh, and yeah. I'm sure you're probably experiencing the same thing. So uh, thank you for taking the time. Glad we could work this out. And uh, it's really, to me, it's really inspiring to see that there's very intelligent people working with very cutting edge ideas like I've, i had the thought as you were talking that like this guy is actually on the cutting edge making the future sci-fi reality become reality which is you know like we're there we're doing that now like the movies and everything else that we would watch as kids are like coming into reality and you're on that cutting edge of making that happen so that's it's a treat to be able to talk to you and and to be able to see the thought process and the intelligence behind it so thank you for that
1: awesome well thank you trent it's been a pleasure
0: all right awesome thank you so much alex ilton for joining us today (laughs) um if you want other people to follow what you're doing or to read more into your uh what you got going on or your company where should they find and reach out and all that with with what you're doing
1: Yeah, um, probably just uh, vtprodesign.com is the best place to kind of see. We've got um, an awesome website with all the projects and videos and case studies and everything. So yeah, we'd love for everybody to, to take a look and hope to see you guys at some
0: of our builds. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Alex.